going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 5. Let me pray for us and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you're doing here at Life Church. Thank you for this uh, amazing community of warriors and worshipers, God. We pray that you would instill in us your truth today and let us boldly stand on that as we go out into a dark world with the brightest of all lights, the most purest of all lights. And that is your light, Jesus. It is you, it is everything you are, and let us just be amazing messengers as we take it to a hurting world. We love you. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody said, amen. All right, so today we are at the end of chapter five. We're gonna be in verse 17, and we're gonna see here that David now is, is stepping into this, this warrior king mentality. He has now been, he's now been led into being the full king like, of all of Israel. So he's not, part, he's not the king of Judah anymore. Now all of Israel is unified. All the tribes of Israel are now unified, and David is stepping in to, uh, to this kingship. Now his enemies are taking notice. His real enemies are taking notice. Because he never saw King Saul as the enemy. He never saw Israel as the enemy, even when Saul was attacking him. They were brothers. He was just, Saul was a wicked king, and David was on the run. But now David is the guy. And so when the Philistines begin to hear about this, that David had been anointed king over all of Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. They were not searching for David to give him a high five or to say, hey, congratulations. You know, it's not like, uh, hey, we just want to give you a call, you know, one nation to another, congratulations. No, they were looking to kill him. They wanted to search him out and to, and to kill him. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now remember, this is a really interesting piece of the story. David used to be friends with the Philistines, the ones that were now, were now seeking to kill him. Because remember, when Saul was trying to kill David, where did David run in 1 Samuel? He ran into the arms of, a, of the king of, of the Philistines, and his name was Achish, King Achish. And the Philistines tolerated David because they saw him as a vessel. They saw him as a useful tool in the real war that they were fighting, which was against Saul and all of Israel. The Philistines and the Israelites have always been mortal enemies. Even to this day, the Palestinians, you know, Philistines, Palestinians, the name is derived from the word Palestinian or Philistine. It, it is still, they're still fighting today. They've always been at, at conflict with each other over the land and who's, who's the rightful heir of the land, right? And so now the Philistines are coming to this realization, oh no, the one that we tolerated is now really our mortal enemy. We need to go and put an end to this. Now remember, King Achish was friendly to David and had given David the town of Ziklag, and David and his men and their families lived in Ziklag while they were running from Saul. So, so even the Lord used the enemies of David to actually shelter David for a time. And so it was an amazing story. We're not going to dive back into it, obviously, but I want to just stop there just for a second, though, and, re and go back to this idea that the, the Philistines are now kicking themselves for tolerating David. And it got me thinking about this word tolerance. And we happen to be in the month of June, and if you know anything about June in our culture today, it's uh, shoving down you know, the LGBTQ agenda. Every, every chance someone can do it, they'll shove it down your throats and say, tolerate us, tolerate us, tolerate us, right? And you hear that. And if you don't, well, you're going to be ostracized, you're going to be canceled, you're going to be fired, you're going to be mocked, and you're going to be you're called all the names, homophobe, bigot, whatever it is. But it's all over this word of tolerance, right? And I was thinking about it, and I was praying about this, and the Lord really struck me with this. He said, Micah, I am not the God of tolerance. I do not tolerate. I was like, man, that's, like, that's kind of a harsh statement, Lord. 
He said, Mike, I don't tolerate. I change. I don't tolerate your sin. I change you into pure righteousness. I don't leave you. Tolerance is saying, okay, I'm just going to put up with this thing. I'm going to just kind of respect that this thing is not maybe how I would do it, but I'm going to respect that it's done that way. God doesn't respect a different way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except by me. There is no tolerance in that statement. It's like, there's one way. You either do it this way, or you're gone. You know what I'm saying? And there are going to be people who stand before the Lord someday, and they look at Christians all over this nation, and they're, the Lord is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Go be damned into all, all of eternity in the hellfires of eternity. And they're going to look across the chasm, and here are going to be a lot of good Christians, people who follow Jesus, but were afraid to speak out against the word tolerance in our culture. And the people on the other side of the chasm are going to say, why did you not say anything? And then these people over here who are with Christ are going to say, we are sorry. We thought you wanted tolerance. And they're going to say, you, you, did you not love us? You knew that this was coming, but you didn't tell us. You didn't even really love us. Those who tolerate sin don't really love those who are stuck in the sin. If you tolerate someone's sin, you don't really love them. Jesus doesn't tolerate your sin because he loves you. Jesus says, I love you enough to tell you you're, you're, you're in a bad place, but I'm gonna come and I'm gonna find you and I'm gonna pull you out of that place and I'm gonna change you. Be like Jesus. And in this culture right now, we are seeing people say, you better tolerate me, you better affirm me, you better celebrate with me, and guess what's coming next, and it's the final stage in any society that's morally declining, it's you better participate with me. Tolerance, affirmation leads to celebration, which then leads to participation. And it is all because we have gotten the lie that somehow God is the God of tolerance. No, he's the God of love, and he loves you enough not to tolerate where you are right now. He loves you enough to change you to become more like him. So now the Philistines are in this world themselves. They're like, uh-oh, we just tolerated something, and now it's coming back to bite us. The thing you tolerate will be the thing that will eventually destroy you. Just FYI. The Philistines are now learning this. They tolerated David, and now he's the thing that's going to bring them ultimate destruction. So David has become a threat to his enemy because he's now the king. Now I want you to know this too. If you're really a warrior for Christ, those who actually are threats to the enemy need to always expect the battle. Remember, Satan and his minions do not have infinite resources. Satan is not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He's not omniscient. He can't, he can't be in all places. He's not God. Don't give Satan more credit than he is due. So he has a finite amount of resources. Do you think he is going to waste his resources on someone who is not a threat to his kingdom? No. What military strategy would ever do that? If you're not a threat to his kingdom, he's just going to probably leave you alone enough to where you, he'll, just, you know, he'll, he'll leave you alone in the sense that he'll let you just think you're okay. Now, he's always going to try to get his, his fangs in you in some way, shape, or form, but he's going to not necessarily pull out his big guns and go after you. But if you're really a warrior 
in the kingdom of heaven and you bring in a massive amount of threat to the kingdom of darkness, well, the big guns of darkness are probably going to turn towards you. So if you're a warrior, expect a battle. Now, I tell you this not to scare you. I tell you this not to say, oh, well, maybe I should just like stay, keep my head down and duck and cover. No, no, no. The Bible also is very clear that no weapon formed against you will prosper. That's the truth we have on. You don't have nothing. You have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear when God is for you. And the devil knows that truth. And he wants you to forget that part of the equation. He wants you to think, okay, I'm going to turn my big guns on you. But you say, I got bigger guns. Right? I got much bigger guns because I, I'm, I'm with the one who created all things, devil. So let's, let's roll. That is the heart of the warrior. And here we, ha- we see David. He didn't go looking for the battle. But the battle came to him. He said, all right, let's roll. Let's roll. And here's what he did. Now, now the Philistines had come and spread out to the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord. David has some really amazing moments. David has some really dumb moments. Okay? We are seeing good David in this passage. Okay? You're going to see idiot David in a few passages down the, down the road. Okay? It's, it, just so you know. But this is good David. This is like, David, yes, you are becoming an amazing leader, and here's why. He inquired of the Lord, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. Now, they're meeting in a place called Raphaim, and that means that's Hebrew for giants. Remember, the Philistines were the people of giants. The, the city of Gath is where Goliath came from. Uh, many people believe that the Philistines were descendants of the Nephilim. If you know anything about the Nephilim, like you can you can study that. It's an amazing conversation to have with Pastor Kathy and Pastor Nathan because they totally dis- disagree on the origins of the Nephilim, but it's awesome. You can be like, so tell, Pastor Kathy, Pastor Nathan, tell me about the, the Nephilim. <laughs> and then just get back, like, goosh, 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 right? It's a fascinating conversation. I love it. Just do that sometime. You'll be like, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, oh, amazing. Like, and they have great points. They both know what they're talking about, so it's a lot of fun. But a lot of people believe that these giants were, were, uh, were very much the descendants of the Nephilim, and, and, that's, and they, were, they were tall. They were eight, nine, ten feet tall, and they were warriors. Goliath was that warrior. Even though David, though, himself was a warrior, he made the wise decision of first asking God. And I want you to, that to sink in, because God has given you all skills, and you're good at something. You have a gifting. There's something that you can do better than most people, that's because God has designed you to do that thing, to do that good work that was set out before even time itself, to do good works. You're God's masterpiece. And so all of that to say, David was designed to be a warrior. However, he did not let his skill lead to complacency. And oftentimes, as Christians, we kind of say, well, I'm good at this. I don't need to really ask the Lord because I got this. My skill will take me through this. No, David gave us the example of how to do this. Go to the Lord and ask. Okay, Lord, I know you've gifted me as a warrior, but should I do it this way? Maybe you're gifted as an accountant, but do you go to the Lord and say, Lord, how should I manage the finances for this individual? Or do you just say, well, I'm good at it, so I'll just kind of do what I always do. Maybe you're a good builder. Maybe you're good at construction. Do you go to the Lord and say, Lord, as I build this thing, How do you want me to build it? Maybe you're good in the world of politics. Do you walk into politics and you say, well, I'm good. I know know facts. I I got my history down. 
Or, and I'm speaking to myself right now, do I say, Lord, how do you want me to do this on every occasion? And the answer for me is, uh, quite honestly, no, I don't. I, I get complacent sometimes. My skill in this, in this environment leads me to complacency. And I have to remember, I've got to go back to the Lord. I've got to ask him, how do you want me to do this, Lord? And so then David went up to Baal Perazim, and he defeated the Philistines there. The Lord did it, David exclaimed. Now this is different than Saul. Remember Saul said when he, when he killed the Amalekites, he brought the king of the Amalekites back in, and he paraded him around all of Israel saying, look what I have done, your king, for all of you Israel, right? And it angered God because he did not obey God. He wanted, he, Saul wanted the glory for himself. David has this incredible victory, and he goes and he says, the Lord did it. It would have been very easy for David to say, yeah, I'm really good at being a warrior. I did it, Israel. I'm your king. <laughs> you picked the right guy. No, no, no. The Lord did it. And that's true for all of us. You have great success. You will have great success if God is with you. You cannot not have great success if God is with you. God is the God of success. If he's with you, you're going to be successful. But the question is, will you give him the glory when that success comes? Because the world's going to say, that was amazing. How did you do it? You say, well, I went to school. I studied this. I did this. I've worked really hard. I've done all these things. Or you can say, listen, ultimately God did it. I'm just the vessel he chose to use. And that's what David said right here. And he says of the Lord, he says, he burst through my enemies like a raging flood. So he named that place Baal Perazim, which means the Lord who is, who burst through. Now I want you to, I want to stop here real quick. Baal Perazim means the Lord of the breakthroughs, like, it, like the word just said. You may be saying, why would David name a place after the ancient pagan god Baal? Like, and just so you know, the word Baal just means Lord. The pagans would say, Baal is the all-powerful master, the all-powerful Lord. He is our, he's a demonic spirit, but they would, they would hype him up and say, you are the one true God, even though he's not. So don't, don't be confused that David is giving somehow credit to the God Baal. He's not. He's saying the Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is the God of the breakthrough. So just want to clarify that because I know that can be a little con confusing. Verse 21, and the Philistines left their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. They said, listen, we're going to carry them away, and they burned them. They're not going to put up with this nonsense. They're not going to let the cancer infest their, their culture. Okay? It was really a culture war that they were doing. People say, oh, don't be culture warriors. We don't want culture warriors. No, there's always going to be a culture war because the demonic is going to try to bring cancer spirits and ideas and ideologies into a healthy body. You're going to have to fight it all the time. And so the men knew this. They saw these idols and they said, we don't want anything to do with that because we know the one true God. We don't want our children being raised with this idea that there are other gods. There's only one God and we want to worship and follow him. And they burned the idols. Not very tolerant, if you ask me. Right? It's like, oh, where's, where's the tolerance there? Oh, God is, God is the God of tolerance. Well, not according to this passage right here. He did not tolerate Jack. I didn't say that at first service. As it was coming out, I was kind of like, where's this going, Micah? Uh, all right. So uh, every service is a little different and a little fun. You know, it's fun. You should come to all three because you'll be like, you said that way differently than you said it over here. And I, you know, so. So they carried them away. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. Now again, so David just beat the Philistines, but here comes the enemy again. 
That's how it's going to work with us too. We might have great victories and battles and it's like, oh my gosh, here comes the victory again. I just talked to a guy out in the, the lobby. He battled cancer. The Lord set him free from cancer a few months ago. And now he went back to the doctor. He's got cancer somewhere else. Here it comes yet again. But I told him, to do the same thing. Go back to the Lord. Say, all right, Lord, here, here I am in this battle. What do you want me to do? And guess what? David does the same thing. And David inquired of the Lord the second time. And he said, you, and this is what the Lord said. So David could have just said, I'm going to do it. Okay, God told me how to do it the first time. So let's just do it that way again. Well, wait a second. David, you were very wise in this moment because you inquired of the Lord the second time. You just didn't get complacent. You said, Lord, what, what should we do now? And the Lord said, you shall not go up, go around to the rear and come against them opposite the balsam trees. So David didn't assume that the same strategy was the right strategy in the next battle. We oftentimes do, do that. We assume, well, God did it this way 20 years ago when I was dealing with the same thing. He's going, to do, he's going to want me to deal with it the same way. No, not necessarily. No, he may. But God is, God is always changing strategy. God is always moving pieces around on the chessboard. He's playing, you know, eight-dimensional chess. You know, sometimes we get stuck in the checkers. Like, they, they move one way, and that's it. But why does, that, why does God do that? Have you ever thought about that? Why, God, it would be a whole lot easier if it could just be like, do this and here's the outcome. Because God doesn't want a relationship with you that becomes a science. He doesn't want a relationship with any, it wouldn't be a relationship. It would just be do A, B, and C, and then you get X, Y, and Z. And then we would go back and we would stop looking at the God of the, of the solution, and we would just start looking at the solution. A, B, and C leads to X, Y, and Z. We do that every time. We get X, Y, and Z. So let's just do that. Well, where's God in that, that relationship? There isn't, he's not there anymore. God wants you to always be dependent on him. God loves it when we are dependent on him. Now, I'm an independence guy. I love Fourth of July. Probably one of my favorite. Uh, we always watch The Patriot, you know, as a family uh, with Mel Gibson on Fourth of July. It's kind of what we do, right? Yeah, so it's, yeah. It, and so I love it. I love independence. But if you know something about our history and you study the writings of our founding fathers, they were not independent thinking people. They were incredibly dependent on the Creator and on the Almighty. And even Ben Franklin, at the first uh, constitutional convention, he's probably the most unchristian of all the founding fathers. Him and Thomas Paine are probably the two that people will say, oh no, like they were deists, right? They were agnostic or whatever. But he gets up, Ben Franklin gets up in the middle of the, of the first convention there, and he says, guys, if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without the Lord knowing, how do we assume that we can build an empire without his aid? I hereby call on us to bring the clergy in every morning as we are deliberating so that we can call on his aid so that he can build this nation. <laughs> Incredibly dependent on God. And do you know? Why we open our legislative sessions, whether it's county council, city council, state legislature, or, or out, uh, the House and the Senate out in Washington, do you know why we always open with prayer? It's because Ben Franklin said that very thing. From that very moment on, every day, clergy would be called in to pray that God would give guidance. Why? Because our founders of independence were really very dependent upon God. And God loves it. And he blesses your dependence on him. He blesses you when you're dependent on him. So don't ever forget 
to go to him, say, Lord, I need you now more than I've ever needed you. Because he loves it when you do that. Because he gets all the glory. And then you, his child, get the success. The bounty of the success. And he loves to give you that. He's a good father. He's a good dad. What good father wouldn't love to see his children have good things and the bounty of success? Every good father would want that for their children. Why would God be any different? But you have to be dependent upon him. And then the Lord said to David, when you hear a sound like marching feet at the tops of the poplar trees or the balsam trees, be on the alert. That will be the signal that the Lord is moving ahead of you to strike down the Philistine army. So David did what the Lord commanded and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. And that's how the chapter ends. And you're going to see now the next chapter as we get into verse 1 of chapter 6. David now turns from being a warrior and he goes to being a worshiper. And I love this. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want to steal the thunder from chapter 6, but I, I think I'd be remiss if I did not address this fact that David is a warrior, yes, but he is first and foremost a worshiper. Going all the way back to the fields where he tended the sheep, what drew the heart of the Lord to David? It was his heart of worship for the Lord. David had a heart after God's own heart. He loved God. He wanted to be with God. The warrior came as a result of the worshiper. If you want to be an effective warrior in this culture today, learn to be an authentic, passionate worshiper of Jesus. So often we go into battles and we say, okay, God's giving me skill. So I'm just going to run in. But we've lost the connection to the Father. We've lost the, the heartstrings that are, that are pulling us and guiding us. We've lost that because we've lost the act of worship. If you've ever come to a First Wednesday here at Life Church, you, you've seen it. If you haven't come to a First Wednesday, I would highly encourage you to come to a First Wednesday because you see passionate, authentic worship at First Wednesday. And then Sunday mornings, You'll see people passionately, authentically worship. Why are they doing that? Because they love Jesus, but they also know that their effectiveness comes because of their worshiping heart. David knew this, and that's why David was effective. Be an authentic, passionate worshiper, and you will be one of the most powerful, spirit-filled threats to the enemy that, that the, the kingdom of hell has ever seen. And I don't know about you, but I, I think I get excited about that. I want to stand together in the great banquet of the Lamb, the banquet uh, the, the, in, in eternity when we're all gathered and we're looking back at our time on this earth and we're talking to the Moseses. We're talking to the Peters, to the Deborahs, to the Mary Magdalene's. We're talking to the great characters of our faith. I want to be able to say, I was a warrior just like you. And they'll look at us and they'll say, yes, you were a worshiper just like us. That's why you were a warrior. Will you say that at the end of all, all, all time? You're going to be thinking something. Will you, 10,000 years from now, will you look back and will you say, I loved it. It was amazing. God worked so powerfully through me. I worshiped him passionately and the kingdom of hell was kicked in the teeth because the Lord used me to do it. Or will you say, I was scared. I didn't want to be seen as somebody that was intolerant. I didn't want to ruffle feathers. I just want to keep my head down. Yeah, I'm here in heaven, but boy, I wish I could have been more effective. 
Don't get to heaven someday and say, boy, I wish I, I could be more effective. Leave it all on the field now. But the secret to it is become a passionate, authentic worshiper. I'm going to invite the prayer team down. and If you've been struggling with a battle, we're going to sing a song that I feel like is just a great way to close out a service as a warrior in the kingdom of heaven. And it's a song that just says, I speak Jesus. Are you struggling with anything in your finances, with anything in your family, with anything in your job, anything in your culture, in your community, in your nation? Speak the name of Jesus over it. Worship at his feet and declare the power of his name over whatever that thing is and watch the kingdom of hell go running into the darkness. But you gotta worship. Maybe today you're sitting here and you're saying, Pastor Micah, that's great. I don't even have the words to say. Well, that's why we have this amazing prayer team down here. People who know how to pray, who love to pray, who have the gift of intercession. Use them. That's their gift. Come down and say, I, I'm dealing with this, but I don't, even, I don't even know where to begin to pray. Praise God, they got you. They're going to pick you up. They're going to pray for you. and They'll declare the name of Jesus for you as the intercessors that they are. That's the power of prayer. That's the power of worship. Let's be effective warriors as we go out into this culture. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.